and welcome to War of Religions, episode 11, Far From Home. Last episode, we examined the aftermath of the first war of religion, as Protestants and Catholics united to drive the English from France. In addition, Charles IX celebrated the end of his regency by taking a grand tour of the kingdom, traveling to all the key cities in France to assert his royal dominance. On June 22, 1564, while the king was visiting the great city of Lyon, across the Atlantic Ocean, a small band of Huguenot adventurers landed on the coast of Florida. This episode will take a break from the events in France to discuss Admiral Coligny's attempt at colonization between the civil wars and the ultimate tragedy that would come to pass in the New World. To fully understand the Huguenot expedition in Florida, we will have to travel back a decade to the reign of King Henry II. In the 1550s, while the new reform doctrine spread rapidly through the minds of Frenchmen, Catholics began to discuss harsher and harsher measures to prevent the spread of the new faith. The Parlement of Paris even talked about bringing the Spanish Inquisition to France, horrifying Protestants and some sympathetic Catholics. It was at this time that Coligny, the Grand Admiral of France, proposed a French colony in the New World. Coligny had come up several times in this podcast. Coligny has come up several times in this podcast, having been second in command of the Huguenot forces during the Civil War, and took over as the Protestant leader when Condé was captured in battle. However, back in the 1550s, Coligny had not yet publicly professed the Reformed faith, but he was already deeply sympathetic to the new religion. He believed that a colony in the Americas would provide French Protestants a refuge from the state, while also challenging Spanish dominance in the New World. The Admiral presented his plan to Henry II, and the King consented, hoping the colonies would bring economic prosperity to the kingdom as it had done for Spain. With the King's blessing, Colony began looking for someone to lead an expedition. Before long, he came across a wealthy soldier called Durand de Vilgognon. With the king's blessing, Colony began looking for someone to lead an expedition. Before long, he came across a wealthy soldier called Durand de Vilgognon. De Vilgognon who had gained a name for himself both on the battlefield and as a commander on the sea. He seemed deeply interested in the Protestant religion, and most importantly, he was familiar with the coast of Brazil, which he proposed as the, lo as the location for the prospective colony. Now that Coligny had a leader, they began to recruit potential colonists for the venture. A few Protestants from a variety of backgrounds jumped on board, including soldiers and noblemen but they were still majorly lacking manpower. Disappointed with the lack of volunteers, Coligny had no choice but to recruit from the prisons of Paris. They were able to muster up about 700 co They were able to muster up about several hundred colonists, despite the fact that many of them deserted upon the way to the rendezvous point at Le Havre. Nonetheless, Villegagnon set sail with his expedition aboard two small ships and a transport from the Havre in July of 1555. The voyage was not as 
The voyage was not a calm one, plagued with major storms, but the ships arrived safely on a small island in the bay of Rio de Janeiro in what is now Brazil. The settlers disembarked and got to work on their first matter of business, building a fort to, prote to protect themselves from hostile Portuguese ships. Naturally, Vilgagnon named the fortification Fort Colony after the father of the expedition, and they conducted a quick survey of the island. Unfortunately, it wasn't very big, far too small for cultivation and farming, and they couldn't find any reliable resources or sources of food. The Brazilian mainland looked more promising, other than the fact that it was inhabited by hostile Portuguese soldiers who viewed the French as invaders, and the small band of settlers was too weak to put up any form of defense against them once they off the security of their island. The situation looked grim. The situation looked so grim that a number of the settlers simply got back on their ships and sailed back to France. Virgagnon was now left with merely a fraction of his already tiny expedition, and most of those who remained behind were the convicts from the Paris prisons. To make matters worse, a plague then struck the settlers of the island. Knowing his grim position and the fact that the majority of his men were hardened criminals, Villegagnon restored to resorted to ruling the colony with an iron fist, flogging his men over the smallest offenses. Murmuring spread throughout the settlement of how best to rid themselves of their new tyrant. Three main solutions were presented. The first being to poison Villegagnon, the second to blow him up, and the third was to slaughter the leader and his officers in their sleep. While the conspirators plotted, three Scottish soldiers betrayed the plan to their leader, who crushed the rebellion before it began. With an unloyal population and food running low, the settlement's future seemed bleak until a ship arrived from France. On board were not only fresh supplies, but also fresh recruits sent over by Colony, including Villegagnon's own nephew. The majority of the new colonists were Calvinists, and two were fresh from theological studies at Geneva, giving the settlement much-needed zeal and morale. Over the next few months, even more recruits trickled in, and Villegagnon found that he now had a colony of zealous ca Calvinists eager to spread the light of God rather than the Villegagnon found that he now had a colony of zealous Calvinists eager to spread the light of God, rather than convicts from the Parisian prisons. For a time, this made all the difference for the settlement, and everyone worked together to finish the construction of Fort Colony. Things were looking up for the colony, until Villegagnon had an inconvenient conversion to Catholicism. He denounced Calvin as a frightful heretic, and attempted to purge his colony of all heresy of the Roman Catholic Church. And attempted to purge his colony of all heresies of the Roman Catholic Church. A colony, I'll remind you, made up of Calvinists fleeing religious persecution. Villegagnon's newly found faith in Rome did not alter his former despotism, and he banished the ministers from the island to the Brazilian mainland where they were forced to fend for themselves against the natives until they could find a ship bound to Europe. Then, 
he sees three of the most vocal Calvinists who were particularly annoying and ha had them drowned in the sea. A fourth was also incarcerated, but because his services as a tailor were vital for the colony, he was allowed to live after recanting Protestantism. Villegagnon returned to France to announce himself as a zealous supporter of the Church of Rome, leaving his nephew in charge of the colony. The colony remained weakened by infighting for the next three years, until Portuguese ships were spotted on the horizon towards the end of 1560. The Portuguese had finally had enough of their rivals laying claim to their lands in the New World, and decided to snuff out the French colony while it was still weak. Despite being outnumbered, Fort Colony held up a ferocious resistance on the island before being overpowered, and the Portuguese soldiers slaughtered everyone they could and find in the settlement. Thankfully, a group of the French colonists escaped the mainland, where they, were, where they took up residence with the natives there. And thus the story of French colonialism in Brazil comes to a dramatic end. Colony blamed the failure of the expedition on Villegagnon, and never lost hope in a Huguenot safe haven in, in the New World. As religious tensions increased in France, more and more French Protestants expressed an interest in making the dangerous crossing across the Atlantic, and Colony decided to give his plan a second try. On February 18, 1562, on the eve of civil war in France, Another expedition left from the port of Le Havre in Normandy in two staunch ships commanded by Jean Ribault, this time bound for North America. However, the war broke out only a few weeks following their departure, and the Admiral became preoccupied with fighting for the Huguenot, for fighting for the Huguenot cause within France. The colony fell into chaos after a mutiny killed one of its leaders and a fire destroyed the last of the supplies. The rest of the surviving colonists constructed a makeshift vessel to sail back to Europe, but most of them starved along the way. This now brings us up to speed with the last episode of the podcast. In 1563, with peace finally restored to the kingdom, Colony turned his attention back to the New World. If this podcast tells us anything about the Admiral, he was stubborn as he was determined, and did not give up easily once he had a plan in mind. If this podcast tells us anything about the Admiral, he was as stubborn as he was determined, and did not give up easily once he had a plan in mind. He fitted three more ships to return to Florida, each filled with supplies and reinforcements. Colony selected René de Laudonnière as the leader of the new expedition, and several other noblemen volunteered to accompany him. Like the other party, they left from the Havre, setting sail for the New World on April 22, 1564, a full year after the war had ended. After a safe voyage, the colonists came around to the the colonists came aground on the coast of Florida, near the mouth of St. John's River. There, they found a stone monument erected with the French coat of arms, making it clear that the former expedition had already been there, claiming the Florida shore for France. Encouraged by their findings, but seeing no other signs of settlement, they maneuvered their ships upstream, possibly to get them out of the sight of mirandering Spanish vessels. Once, since, once six miles inland, the party found a spot to settle 
in what is now near the city of Jacksonville, Florida. They began constructing a fort, which they christened La Caroline. The soil along the St. John's River was extremely fertile, but the colonists were too concerned with striking easy riches to bother themselves with the burdensome process of sowing seeds. Frustrated by the lack of treasure found in the New World, the French nobles who had come in search of easy, rich, of easy riches refused to help cultivate refused to help the others cultivate food. To make matters worse, Laudonniere proved to be too soft for the leader, letting conspiracy go unpunished, which was quite a contrast to Villegagnon. He also seemed to have little interest in religion, marginalizing the majority of the colonists who had come to form a Huguenot society. Many of the settlers grew discontent with the situation in the colony and threatened to return to France at the next possible opportunity. Things went from bad to worse in the summer of 1565, when a severe famine struck the colony. The settlers' disinterest in cultivation had finally caught up to them as they realized they had no food to sustain the colony. They only got by with the food supplies provided to them by the natives. The situation became so bad that Laudonniere considered abandoning the colony altogether. Of the three small vessels that had brought them to, from France, only one remained saleable, and carpenters got to work repairing the other two. On August 3rd, the ships were almost ready to set sail, when the colonists spotted four ships on the horizon. Surprise and anxiety must have gripped the French settlers, as they wondered whether they were French ships bringing much-needed aid, or Spanish who had discovered the Huguenot encroachment onto the New World. While France and Spain were technically not at war, Spain claimed all of Florida by right of discovery and sought to eliminate any French challenge to their possession of the territory. The ships ended up being neither French nor Spanish, but rather English, commanded by the navigator John Hopkins, who had come in desperate search of water. The English cheerfully restocked the colony's supplies with well-needed food, and they even offered to transport everyone back to France. Laudonniere refused the offer, but did purchase one of the ships from the English for four cannons. The other three ships departed, and Laudonniere returned to considering abandoning the colony. However, just three weeks later, a second fleet arrived on the horizon. This time, its admiral was John Rebull, the leader of the former settlement. He had brought seven ships loaded down with supplies and men, with close to a thousand new volunteers who had come to join the colony. Word of Laudonniere's incompetence must have reached Coligny, who recalled the leader back to France and replaced him with Ribot. Laudonniere and Ribot conversed for several days, preparing for the voyage home, until their attention shifted to a more immediate danger. Late in the afternoon of September 3rd, a heavy fog fell over the coastline and cleared at dusk, revealing a massive fleet upon the horizon. As night fell, it was impossible for the soldiers to recognize the nationality of the ships. That night, the colony sat in terror, awaiting to discover the origins of the new fleet. Sometime before dawn, the unknown ships opened fire on four of Ribot's vessels, who cut their anchors and fled into the open sea. 
By daybreak, it became obvious that the ships belonged to Spain. The fleet belonged to Pedro Menendez de Albila, who had come under direct order by King Philip II with 15 ships and 2,600 men. Seeing the French had spotted their approach, the Spanish landed troops 30 miles south of La Caroline. In La Caroline, the French leaders called for a council of war. Laudonniere suggested strengthening the fort with her while harassing the Spanish army with hit-and-run tactics, supported by their Native American allies. Everyone on the council agreed. Well, everyone except Ribot, who insisted instead upon a naval engagement. Although Ribot was alone in his opinion, he was technically now the one in charge, and everyone begrudgingly went along with his plan. The four ships that had fled in the night now returned, and Ribot loaded them with all and Ribot loaded them all with able-bodied soldiers. And Ribot loaded them with all of the able-bodied soldiers left in the fort. A little less than four hundred in all. Only a small minority stayed behind, still wounded from a previous previous engagement with a local tribe. The naval expedition encountered horrendous weather driving them way off course until they wrecked upon the coast of Cape Carnaveral, far to the south of the Spanish army. Meanwhile, Menendez constructed a fort with his army and named it St. Augustine, and would become the city that bears the same name today. The Spanish commander left most of his army garrisoned in the fort and took a small contingent of 500 pikemen north to march against La Caroline. They arrived after a three days march and waited until night to attack. Once night fell, they ambushed the fort, killing most of the men in their sleep. Only the women and children were spared. In the chaos, Laudonniere escaped along with a few others and boarded two small vessels, which succeeded in making it into the open sea, and they set sail for France. Meanwhile to the south, Ribot's company made their way north, back towards La Caroline, but to their dismay, when they arrived, the Spanish flag was flying over the fort. They then retraced their steps southward, towards St. Augustine. Ribot sent word to Menendez, asking for his surrender, and the surrender of the Spanish troops garrisoned inside. The Spanish commander rejected the proposal, informing the French of the slaughter that had taken place back at the fort. Ribot responded by frantically reminding him that the two countries were technically not at war, and Menendez responded, True, but not so in the case of heretics. With him I shall ever carry on war in these parts, and I shall do it with all the possible cruelty towards all of the sect, wherever I shall find them, whether by land or by sea. Yield yourselves to my mercy, give up your arms and your colors, and I will do as God may prompt me. End quote. Ribot discussed with his men, and finding themselves outnumbered, they decided to surrender themselves over to the Spanish army. Ribot discussed with his men, and finding themselves outnumbered, they decided to turn themselves over to the Spanish army. Two hundred of the French troops refused to surrender, 
deciding instead to flee into the wilderness. The rest gave themselves over to the Spanish. They were led into St. Augustine and bound, and Menendez commanded them all to be executed. The soldiers carried out the order, and Menendez wrote back to Philip II, saying, quote, I had their hands tied behind their backs, and themselves put to the sword. It appeared to me that by thus chastising them, God our Lord and your majesty were served. Whereby in future, this evil sect will leave us more free to plant the gospel in these parts. End quote. The other 200 who escaped back, fled back to the wreckage at Cape Carnivoral, where they tried to reconstruct a vessel to sail back to France. The Spanish pursued them and entered into negotiations. The French were willing to pay a steep price for their lives, and Menendez took them captives, promising to treat them as prisoners of war. This time, he kept his promise and sent the 200 surviving members of La Caroline back to Spain to serve as slaves in the king's galleys. In the place of La Caroline, Menendez left an inscription that read, quote, Hanged not as Frenchmen, but as Lutherans. End quote. And so ends the story of Huguenots, of Huguenot colonization in the New World. It would be decades before France attempted another serious colonization effort, and the Protestants in France would not create their own paradise in the Americas as they had hoped. For now, they would have to resort to other measures to try once again to secure their safety for their sect in France. Next time, we will return to Europe as the Huguenots conspire once again to take the king hostage. We will also examine a far bloodier plot in the south of France that would once again end in massacre and death. Thank you for listening. My quoted source today was The History of Huguenot Immigration to America by Charles W. Bard. Published by Dodd and Mead. 1885.